0: We are continuing our series through the Sermon on the Mount, and we're just going to continue in this same vein of what God has already been saying to us, what He's already been doing in our church today. Uh, we are, we are three fourths, we're, we're very close to done with the Sermon on the Mount. We've been talking about this now for a few months. We started a, with a series through the Beatitudes, uh, and then Jesus moves through teaching, kind of redefining some theology and talking about what the kingdom is really like and and, and reshaping some bad teaching that was out there. and. And last week we saw that Jesus made a shift in talking about the way we engage with one another. If you were here last week, and you'll remember this teaching, if you weren't here last week, it's online for you. But Jesus is teaching us that the way that we engage with one another is we need to make sure that we are not judging other people. And then we actually found out that it it turns out that... That if our hearts are right with God, then we will not be prone to judgment. So it turns out that the way we engage with people is also very much wrapped up in the way we engage with God. And today, Jesus is going to uh, really continue that, that shift in focus as he's starting to, to land the plane, so to speak, on this Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and over the next couple of weeks, we're going to see how he concludes this, uh, this sermon. Uh, but today, Jesus is going to tell us very much how to engage with him or with the Father. You know that he and the Father are one. And so, really, he's talking to us about how to pray. Now, this is actually the second time that we've heard Jesus talk about prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, which should tell us something about how important Jesus thinks that prayer actually is. Now, I read po- a portion of this uh, this this point of Jesus' sermon to you already today, just a few minutes ago. But let's, let's hear the whole text for today. So our whole teaching text for today is Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 all the way through 11. So I'll read all of those verses for you now. It says this, Jesus is saying, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, to the one who knocks, the door will be opened." And then he, ch- sh- he shifts his focus a little bit and he gives like an illustration. He says, who among you, if his son asks him for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, would give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, I love how Jesus just like subtly puts like a, like, a, like, let's bring us back down to reality, right? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Jesus, since we're talking about prayer today, I pray to you that you would help me communicate what you laid on my heart to, to explain to my friends and my family here today. Would you help us to learn something about the power, the importance of prayer, and how we should perceive our engagement with prayer as well, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, by the way, side note about prayer, we have this this uh, word that we throw around a lot. If you've been around Life Church, you've heard us say this before. But uh, at the end of our prayer, we say amen, just for the record, just for clarity. That's not a magic word. It's actually a word that means let it be. It's not an English word. It's a word that means let it be if you were to translate it into English. So when we say in Jesus' name, amen, at the end of our prayers, we're saying in all of the power and authority of the name of Jesus let it be. The thing that we just prayed, let that be. That, we're, we're saying, God, would you do that? Amen. That's how, that's how we end our prayers. Uh, so just so you know, if you were wondering, that's a, a little bonus freebie about, about prayer. But this sermon can actually be split into probably three parts, probably more or probably less, depending on who's preaching it. But today, I'm preaching it. So I'm going to split this part of Jesus's sermon into three parts. Today, we're going to learn about grit, about guarantees and about God's goodness. All right. Let's talk about grit for a second. This first thing that Jesus tells us is he wants us to learn to pray with grit. Now, grit is like a pop culture term. It's grit is also some stuff that you find like in the grounds, like you know, dirt and grit. It's it's like gravelly and it's it's grit. It's actually a really good word. When you when you hear the word grit, you kind of think of grit, don't you? Right? I'm not talking about grits. That's something different. I'm talking about grit. In fact, I'm not even talking about the stuff you find on the ground. When we talk about grit, we're talking about that pop culture term that actually refers to something you would find inside of yourself. Uh, grit is a term that is actually used to describe perseverance. People who refuse to give up in the face of insurmountable odds. These people are described as being gritty people. Uh, they, 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 they have grit they have perseverance they stick it out no matter what they they keep getting back up no matter how many times they get knocked down jesus actually seems to be inviting us to pray with grit in fact you begin to hear how jesus invites us to pray with grit if you if you read this verse this first verse verse 7 Uh, In probably a better English translation, I I read it to you in the CSB a few moments ago. Uh, I think the best English translation can actually be found in the Amplified Version. Let me read it to you there. I don't read from the Amplified Version very often because I feel like I'm wordy enough. But here is the Amplified Version of this verse. It says, Ask and keep on asking, and it will be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking, and you will find knock and keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. That's actually the best English translation of the original language. Jesus wasn't just saying ask one time, seek for a minute and knock one time. He was saying do these things perpetually with perseverance, keep on going. He, he wants us to pray persistently. So the idea would be ask until you get an answer, or seek until you find what you're looking for, or knock until the door is opened to you, right? Could you imagine going over to your friend's house and you, you really want to see them, or at least you claim that you do, and you go over and you go, and then you leave. That actually is called ding-dong ditching someone, right? That's a prank that we play on, well, we don't do it anymore. We're grown-up people, and the youth, they well, they left, so we don't want them to find out about it. Uh, but you remember when you used to ding dong ditch people? There's something here that God is saying: please don't ding dong ditch me in your prayers. Knock and keep on knocking until the door is open. Pray with grit. Uh, persistent prayer is actually illustrated pretty powerfully if you flipped in your Bible to Luke chapter 18. Uh, there's this parable that that Jesus. Uh, teaches. In Luke 18, starting in verse 1, it says that he tells them this parable of them for their need to pray always and not give up. That's the preface that Luke offers for what he wants us to learn from this story or parable that Jesus is teaching. So Luke 18, verse 2 is where the story begins. It says there was this Jesus telling a story. There was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect people. And you're like, not surprising. And a widow in that town, kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. He doesn't go into what the details of the adversary was or what their conflict was. He just says, this widow keeps coming saying, give me justice. For a while he was unwilling. Remember? Because he doesn't fear God or really care about people. For a while he was unwilling. But later he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or respect people, he's a very self-aware judge. Right? Even though I don't really care about doing the right thing, Yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. In other words, she's annoying. So to get her to shut up, I'll give her what she wants. And Jesus goes on and he says, listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God grant justice to his elect to carry out to him Uh, who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay in helping them? I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. And then Jesus ends his story by asking a question. He says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So we can see the grittiness of this woman And how Jesus portrays her as a person who is praying as if she was going to God. And God in this scenario is not an unjust judge, is he? He's a a good God. In fact, we'll talk about that in just a few minutes in relationship to our prayer. But Jesus is actually comparing himself and the Father to this judge. It's almost as if Jesus would say, if this joker is going to give justice, how much more do you think a God who actually likes you and wants to do the right thing, because he is good and just, how much more do you think he will actually answer your prayers? But then notice how Jesus ends his thought. God's faithfulness is not what is on trial here. It's our faith that is put to the test. This is what Jesus asks at the end. Will I even find faith on the earth? God's goodness is not on trial. We are on trial. Gritty prayers are the kind of prayers that keep on asking, that keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. In other words, they would be faith-filled or faithful prayers. The prayers that keep on going. In fact, gritty prayers are the kind of prayers that are encouraged in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13, a perfect verse in light of the song that we were singing just a few minutes ago, where Jeremiah hears from God, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I've often wondered how many prayers that I have prayed or prayers that we have prayed as people or as a church, as as Christians, I wonder how many times we have prayed and they have not been answered because we only prayed one time. I don't know if this is real or not. I have no scriptural backing for how this would play out. But in the movie that plays in my mind, I imagine that, that when God's people go to pray, and we do these kind of like non-gritty one-time prayers, that that God hears our prayers, because God always hears everything that we say, and he hears all of our prayers. But I imagine that God would hear our prayers, and that he would actually get ready to dispatch an answer, and then we stop praying. And I in my mind it's it's almost as if God is ready to send the answer to us or or the breakthrough that we that we asked for that one time and then God goes, "Oh wait hold on, they only asked one time I guess they didn't really mean it send, send it back we'll just we'll put it on the shelf we'll just wait until they mean it and there's something about the way Jesus frames the teaching to pray that that sort of implies that just praying for a thing one time and then forgetting about it or Praying for a thing one time and assuming that you've heard an answer just because five minutes went by is not satisfying God's command to pray with grit. That we would pray until the door is open, until we find what we're looking for, until we get an answer. See, most people actually seem to pray as if they were just stating a curiosity. "Ah, I've got a need. I wonder if God would meet that need. Anyway, what's for lunch? Well, I'm feeling sick today. I wonder if God would heal me. Well, it sure does stink to be sick. It's almost as if we're posing a hypothetical, not actually petitioning God for prayer. I wonder if half our prayers, we're not even talking to God. We're just throwing an idea out there. We're going to talk about why I think that might be in just a few minutes. But it's almost as if we just state an idea and then we just move on with our lives, and say that we've prayed about it. We, we have to understand that Jesus is saying, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. You know, you know what that also implies? That implies, and I think pretty clearly, that most of the time, you're probably not going to get an answer or a response to your prayers immediately. I think you could, you could build a really solid case from this teaching... That getting an instant answer to prayer the first time you've ever prayed for something is probably not common. Now, for clarity, let me just stand over here and be really, really clear for a second. I did not just say that God never answers anyone's prayers the first time they prayed for a thing. I did not just say that. Because we could equally say the first time someone prays for salvation, that prayer gets answered first time every time, right? Right? Okay, so we have, a good, we have a good sound theology there. It turns out there's nuance in the kingdom of heaven. It turns out that there's more than one way to look at a thing. And I think we have to add this layer onto our prayer life, that God wants us to pray for something more than once. What does that mean about your prayer life? If you prayed and you didn't get an answer, that doesn't mean God failed you, and it also doesn't mean you're bad at prayer. So let's just get that weight off of our chest. If you prayed and you didn't get an answer and you've been sitting here going, God, I must not have said the right words. Let go. Give yourself some, some slack on that. God is actually inviting you not to give up but to come back and pray more. Jesus' point here is not simply to keep bugging God until you get your way. His desire is for us to desire a relationship with him that will eventually produce his desires in our life. And there's a lot of different places in Scripture. We, could, we did a whole study in James and we talked about prayer uh, for quite a while that, that would help us to understand that, that God is not some genie waiting to grant our wishes. God is not a servant of, to us so that we can command him for him what to do, right? But he wants to be in relationship with us. That's why he says, keep on asking. Because he knows if you're asking, what are you doing? You're talking to him. Keep on seeking. Why? Because if you're seeking him, you're not seeking somebody else. Keep on knocking because he knows that's the door that when it's open will give you satisfaction. And will enter, you, you will enter into his presence. Jesus is making a dramatic invitation into not religious recitation but into relationship with God. You want to know how my relationship with my wife is strong after 16 years of marriage? It's because we talk to each other a lot. After 17 years of marriage, it's because we talk to each other a lot. Did you see how we talked to each other just right now? I was right both times. 17 comes after 16. Just so you know. Anyway. God wants us to learn to have an ongoing relationship with him. And one of the ways we do that, in fact, I would argue one of the the best ways to engage that relationship is through the practice of prayer. Dallas Willard defines prayer as talking with God about what we're doing together. This presumes that you think that you and God are doing stuff together and that prayer is you talking to him about that. You're driving to work, you're doing that with God. Talk to him about that. How's your day going to go? God, would you use me today at work? This is prayer, talking with God about what we are doing together. John Mark Comer says prayer is a back and forth conversation with God that comes out of a depth of relationship. It's back and forth. You say something and then you listen. And then God says something and you listen. Or he doesn't say anything and you sit with him. Like how sometimes your best relationships, you don't have to say anything. You just are present together. But there's a back and a forth in that relationship. Jesus is not inviting us to make demands of God as if he is bound to answer, bound to give us what we demand of him. But he does promise to give us an answer. So we should pray with grit. We should keep on praying praying. Or as Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, never stop praying. Or in another translation, pray without ceasing. This this should be a rhythm of our life that every single day, that in every moment, there should be something of an engagement with God that we would be uh, able to and willing and even looking forward to talking with Him about. We should pray with grit. So then by challenging us to pray with grit, then he quickly comes to the next idea that that he would say that prayer comes with a guarantee. So we pray with grit and then we understand that there is a guarantee when we pray. Listen again to how Jesus puts it in verses 8 through 11. He says, for everyone who asks receives, this is a guarantee, everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. And then he gives us this illustration to double down on this guarantee. Who among you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So Jesus is like really committing to communicating this guarantee. I mean, he doesn't just say it one time. He's now said it three different ways. But in order to receive this guarantee, in order for us to, to accept that this is a good guarantee, I think we have to first believe this one foundational thing that a lot of us have a problem with. And that one foundational thing that we have to, to come to believe is that prayer actually works. Can you just for a second, because it would be good for your, your spiritual and mental health, look at your neighbor and say, prayer actually works? It's good for you to say that. You should say that every single day, and then you should pray. The idea that prayer actually works has come under attack in our generation. I remember times where I have posted online, for example, that I'm going to be praying about some global or social issue. And the commentary that comes in response to that by people who don't believe that prayer actually works is they go, oh, thoughts and prayers. That's how they type it. It's in that tone. It's italicized in, oh, thoughts and prayers. It's very nasally. It's very judgmental. Oh, thoughts and prayers. Right? You can hear it when you read it because their assumption is you're wasting your time and my time and you're just virtue signaling, saying, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to apply God to that situation. We all, we all know that nothing really happens, but if I pray about it, then I won't have to actually do anything about it. See, the Christian understands that action begins with our prayer and the world misunderstands thinking that prayer excuses us from action. If you're praying right, then you'll get to work. But you can't know what work you should do until you've prayed about it. So the world goes to 10 prayers and we go, I, I need to pray so I know what to do. Or I need to pray so that I can see what God will do. Because how many times have we prayed about a thing and then we would go to do something and it turns out God already responded. Well, the true waste of time would be to pray and then go do the thing that God was going to do. Right? Does it make sense? So we need to be people who pray. We need to resist the urge to buy into the mockery of the idea that prayer actually works. But a a great deal of our problem in the modern American church is that we think that prayer just doesn't really actually do anything. I think that John Mark Comer actually says it best better than I could in in a book that he wrote called My Name is Hope. The subtitle of this book is Anxiety, Depression and Life After Melancholy, which is like the perfect book for 2021. But in this book he 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 writes this I just want to read this excerpt for for, for you cuz like I said I think he says it better than I could. He says prayer changes reality. Prayer moves the hand of God. The problem is Most people don't really think that prayer makes a difference in how God acts. The majority of us are fatalistic when it comes to prayer. Lots of people honestly believe that what's going to happen is going to happen with or without prayer. That kind of a twisted, lazy theology is what sucks the life out of people's prayers. He goes on to write, Are you saying my prayers really make a difference in what God does or does not do? Yes. Do not miss that. Many Jesus followers do. What I'm saying is really important. Prayer changes reality. Prayer moves the hand of God. Dallas Willard writes in The Divine Conspiracy, God's response to our prayers is not a charade. He does not pretend that he is answering our prayers when he is only doing what he was going to do anyway. Our requests really do make a difference in what God does or does not do. The idea that everything would happen exactly as it does, regardless of whether we pray or not, is a specter that haunts the minds of many who sincerely profess belief in God. It makes prayer psychologically impossible, replacing it with dead rituals at best. Of course, this is not the biblical idea of prayer, nor is it the idea of people for whom prayer is a vital part of life. And here John Mark concludes quoting Dallas Willard, and he finishes his thought by saying, when you pray, things happen. And the reverse is also true. When you don't pray, things don't happen. It is written, you have not because you ask not. Do you know what that really means? You have not because you ask not. What a novel idea. And finally, John Mark says, I repeat, prayer changes reality. Prayer moves the hand of God. By the way, that scripture that he referenced there towards the end of that excerpt was James chapter 4, verses 2 through 3, which says, You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You see the fundamental problem with prayer is that we is not that prayer doesn't work but that we don't believe that it works or at least when we pray we pray as if we don't believe that it works. But Jesus makes this guarantee very clear. I love that he that he includes this word everyone. It says everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be, that's guaranteed words, will be opened. See, we will value the power of prayer only after we have come to believe the guarantee of prayer. And then once we set that in mind, that that prayer actually does work, we next need to wrestle with our our struggle that that we also kind of shoot ourselves in the foot that we don't actually believe in the goodness of God. And Jesus addresses this in this teaching on prayer as well. Maybe even more specifically, that if we believe in the goodness of God, we we might be able to say, yes, God is good, but he doesn't always treat me good or treat me with his goodness for whatever reason, maybe it's because you think you've sinned too much, or maybe he's capricious and trying to get back at you, or maybe you believe in this, like, kind of midway purgatory where maybe you believe that when you die, you're either going to go straight to heaven or straight to hell, but but this life is kind of your punishment for all the sins that you've, so so anything bad that happens, you probably deserve that, or anytime God doesn't really answer your prayer, it's, it's probably because you deserve that, right? Or you don't deserve his goodness. You see, we struggle to engage or to really believe in the goodness of God. Like like we believe that God doesn't simply want to give us what is good. Jesus actually gives us this really relatable uh, illustration. You've heard it a couple of times. But again, he says, who among you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or who asks for a fish will give him a snake? The answer is obvious, right? If you're a good parent or you have ever loved another human being ever, the answer is, of course, no one would do that, right? If you're, if you're a parent or like an aunt or an uncle or a cousin or you just like have a friend and they say, hey, I'm hungry, you're not going to hand them a snake or a stone and go, bon appetit. Of course, the answer is so obvious. No, no one would do that. But then Jesus immediately follows up with this question. Not by saying that that God is just like our good fathers, right? But he he wants us to, to question this. Well, isn't God better than you? So if the answer to this question is so obvious, no, of course, no one would give a stone or a snake. But isn't God better than you? He says that he does this in this really fantastic way where he goes, so who of you, I mean, if you're evil, If you're terrible, and everyone's like, yeah, that's kind of true, isn't it? Well, if that's true about you, if you're not perfect, well, how much is the Father in heaven who is perfect and who is good and who does love you all the time without failure, how much is that God going to give good? The answer is infinitely more because he's infinitely better than us. Well, I, love how, I love how Jesus sort of it reads almost as if it's a question, but it's not a question, right? If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in Heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? It's rhetorical because the answer is obvious. An infinite amount more. Because God the Father is so much better. However good you think you are, or think of the best parent in the history of the world, Right? Maybe that's you, maybe that's your parent, maybe that's your neighbor, maybe that's somebody that you know. The best parenting you've ever seen is terrible compared to how good God is, right? And and so Jesus says, since he is good, he will give good gifts. It's just a logical conclusion. If you're good and you're not, and you would give good stuff, God will give that much better. Jesus is actually highlighting here a major reason people don't pray. It's because When we get prayer wrong, we either assume that God will give us something bad, for whatever reason, we deserve it or he's not actually good, or we accuse God of having given us something bad because we didn't like what we got or it wasn't what we asked for. So the first issue that we assume that God would give us something bad is actually a matter of trust. We don't trust that God is actually good or or that he feels good toward us. So then we assume that what he will give us will not be good. So then that limits our prayer. No wonder we don't pray because we don't think God's going to give us a good response. And maybe you're sitting here going, yeah, but my track record says. And I would just wonder if at somewhere fundamentally and foundationally in your prayer, Somebody told you not to expect God to give you his guarantee. And all along we've been praying wrong. But the second issue that we accuse God of having given us something bad is actually a matter of pride. We've prayed and received God's response, but we didn't like what we got. So then we called what God gave us bad. And then we blame God. It plays out like this. Pride presumes that we know better than what God would give us. Like, we know what's good for us better than what God gave us. That sounds prideful. Could you imagine walking into the, uh, the corner store of prayer and you see the clerk of prayer behind the counter and you come with your request, which is really a demand to go get the thing off the shelf that you've asked for, right? Right? And then, so, so you come in and you, let's just come up with some random example that I've never used at Life Church before, right? So you walk into the corner store of prayer and you see the clerk behind the counter and you go, hello, I'd like a TARDIS blue Mini Cooper, please. I'd like a blue Mini Cooper, please. And then, and then the clerk goes, okay, just one moment. I've heard your prayer. Let me go behind the counter here. And then what they give you is some college debt, a job that pays the bills but doesn't give you expendable income, and a family of four. And because your perspective is that God's not good and what he's going to give you isn't necessarily good, your response is to become a spiritual Karen. Apologies to the women I know named Karen who actually redeemed that name, but I had to use the term to illustrate the point. We go, let me speak to the manager. I don't approve of what I was given. Oh, but you asked for this. This isn't what I asked for, a blue Mini Cooper. Oh, okay, you're right. You did ask for a blue Mini Cooper, but this is how I've chosen to respond to your request. God bless you. Well, I don't approve of this, this establishment's policies. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to definitely review this place on Yelp. And then we go around and we tell everybody that we know, thoughts and prayers. Interesting how that is the foundation of that bad theology, isn't it? I wonder what a subtle shift in our perspective on the goodness of God and the goodness of his, his gifts and the, and the solidity of his guarantee would sound like. If you walk into the corner store of prayer with an understanding that you're not speaking to some clerk there to serve your needs, but you're actually speaking because you are abundantly and insanely, stupidly, and unworthily privileged to speak to the manager of all creation, God the Father himself, and you walk in, and you go, oh my goodness, it's the CEO. Are you sure there isn't some underling I should be speaking to? No, 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 you, you have direct access. In fact, let me just pull the shelf up. I'm gonna come around the counter and just sit on the counter with you and just, hey buddy, how, how, what, what can I? And so now you're face-to-face with the CEO of all creation. And you go, um, I hope this isn't presumptuous, but Tardis Blue Mini Cooper. I mean, it's okay if you don't. And then the CEO of All Creation goes, no, 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 hold on, I've got a guarantee here. Ask me for what you really, really want. Ask me the desire of your heart. Now I've got two choices to make. Do I really want a TARDIS Blue Mini Cooper? Or when I'm talking to the CEO of All Creation, is there something deeper I should be asking for? Let's say hypothetically that I say, you know what? I really would like a TARDIS Blue Mini Cooper. The Blue Mini Cooper, CEO of all creation, amen? So, so CEO of all creation goes back behind the counter. He goes rummaging around a little bit. And, and what he gives you is a value for education so that you learn the value of becoming a lifelong learner. A calling to serve people in a city that desperately needs the light of Jesus Christ. We call that the gospel and a family that you get to steward and raise up into the way and the will of God on earth to actually make a difference, rather than to be a statistic. See, my perspective says I got college debt or an education. My, my perspective will tell me I got a job that pays the bills but doesn't necessarily give me expendable income, or I got an opportunity to be a servant somewhere. Or, or my perspective will tell me that I got a family of four and all of the responsibility and the bills and the frustration and the sleepless nights that comes with that. Or an opportunity to steward one of the greatest gifts that anyone could ever be given. You see, my perspective on the goodness of God and His guarantee will change a lot about the way that I respond to what God gives me when I come to Him in prayer. We have to settle this foundational truth. Prayer does move the heart and the hand of God. But it will never move His heart or hand to give us something that would not be good for us. Or or to give us something that we're not ready for yet. Simply put, let me, let me just condense that down. God is smarter than you. Right? We should remember the scriptures teaching in John chapter 14. Whatever you ask for in my name, this I will do. In whose name? My name, because I'm the one in charge of my life. No, God's name. This I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Not so that I will get what I want, but so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. He continues, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And 1 John 5, 14 through 15 says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will... He hears us, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask according to his will, we know that we have what we asked of him. Jesus guarantees to give us what we ask for, not because we ask, but because we ask for it in his name and submitted to his will. I've said this before, but let me say it to you again. God is not a genie, and prayer is not the lamp that you rub, in which, uh, which gives you the authority to be able to tell God what to give you. He is a father ready to give us whatever love looks like the most. As a father of a high school student... <coughs> I pray i pray and i trust the goodness and the guarantee of god as a father i i often hear my kids ask me for stuff and there are times that i know that what they want is not actually the best thing for them and so you know what my answer will be love sometimes that answer sounds like no but it's always love. Why? Because I'm smarter than a fifth grader. Because I'm smarter than them. I know more about life than they do. And it's my, literally my job on earth to steward their lives. And if that's true about me, who's terrible at being perfect, how much more so is this true about our Father in heaven. So when we ask for one thing, God gives us something else. We should not assume that God did not give us a good response. He did not give us a submitted response. That doesn't mean he didn't give us a good response. There has never been a second where God has been submitted to you and there never will be. And thank God for that. You would mess up literally everything. He has never given us a submitted response. He has always given love and wisdom. And our job is to learn to appreciate what he gives us. One of the big concerns that I have with our own Pentecostal environment is that oftentimes we manipulate the idea of prayer. And we say, if we say just the right words, we say it with just the right amount of faith. Forgetting that Jesus said that faith the size of a mustard seed could move a mountain into the sea, right? And the prayer of faith will heal the sick, not the prayer of the right words. So one, of the, one of the problems that I have with our Pentecostal environments is that we very often misinterpret the idea of prayer and we put too much power in our hands. You want, I, want, I want you to understand, I have laid hands on sick people and seen them healed. I have never healed a single person in my life. It's always God's job to heal. It's always my job to pray, which is an act of submission. And then how God chooses to respond to that prayer will always be good. Every single time. And I'm telling you that as a son of a mother who still has Parkinson's, even though she is currently healed in the name of Jesus. Jesus. And I, I have no conflict in saying that to you. And, I, and I'm saying this as a as a pastor who still doesn't own a Mini Cooper. <laughs> Except in my spirit, I believe that I receive it, right? I don't know why God thinks that I don't need it yet. Maybe it's because it's making for all these good sermon illustrations. (laughs) So here's what we've resolved today, that prayer is a guaranteed work and that God is always good. And if you believe that, then this teaching comes full circle because what do we do if we believe that prayer is a guaranteed work and that God is always good? Well, then we actually will ask and keep on asking because we trust God's goodness. We'll seek and we'll keep on seeking because we love to discover His plan and His purpose. We'll knock and we'll keep on knocking because we're just excited to spend any time that we can get with Him. Prayer is just as much about nurturing a relationship as it is about meeting our needs. I would say, if not more so, about nurturing our relationship with Him as it is about meeting our needs. We have to come to the realization that at the the foundation of all of it, I don't need anything if I've been saved by the cross and the blood and the love of Jesus. I have no needs. take everything away from me and give me Jesus and what He promised me is eternal life and I'm set. I have no other needs. I've got a lot of other desires. And may they all become gods. And then may I learn to trust that his heart in responding to my prayer is guaranteed to always be good. That will give me grit in my prayer. So finally, I have three questions for you today. Question number one, what are you praying about for today, right now? What are the physical, spiritual, mental, emotional, financial, relational, whatever needs that you are praying about right now, today? What are they? Question number two, what have you stopped praying for? What are the things that you thought God wasn't answering you, and it turns out he was answering you just not the way you were hoping or not in the time you were hoping for? What are the things you've stopped praying for? I know in my life the things I've stopped praying for outweighs by far the things I am praying for today. And God is inviting me to get that list back out and go, this still matters. God so much still cares for your desires and your heart. He is inviting you in to the conversation about those things. And then the third question, not just what are you praying for today, what have you stopped praying for, but what do you need to start praying for? What are the things you haven't even begun to ask him for, for whatever disqualifying, limiting, false belief? That you would go, God, I'm, I'm not even going to ask because I don't deserve it or because I, I already know I have a track record, so I'm not even going to ask you. What are the things you've never even prayed for once that you know that you should be asking him for? Jesus offers a simple challenge for us today in, in answering all three of these questions. Keep asking. Keep seeking keep knocking. I did not wake up this morning to guarantee you a specific kind of prophetic declarative promise for every single one of your prayer requests. I am not that powerful and if I was, God would probably give me the wisdom not to offer that to you. Because I don't even know if what you think you need is what you actually need. But what you do really, really need is to ask and to seek and to knock. What we really need is to become a people of prayer. And again, Paul puts it even more succinctly. He says, never stop praying. So I can offer you three practical suggestions for responding to this challenge. One of them is today after service, pray with us. We did this last week. We're just going to do this again Uh, This week, we've got a couple of people in our church that we would call elders in our church. These are respected people in our church that have carried the vision and the heart of our church that I would send any one of you to them for any of your issues in your life. And so I'm going to ask Mary Lou Kalunga if she would go over to this prayer wall. She can even make her way that way right now. Paul and Rhonda Smith, I'm going to ask if they would go over to that prayer wall right there. And that's not to say there aren't other people in the church to pray for, but the Bible calls us to call the elders to lay hands on you if you need prayer. And so these are three of the people we would call elders in our church who are ready to pray with you. After service, we're going to pray corporately in just a moment, but when our service is done, you can go and pray with them as well for any uh, specific personal private need. And if you're not in the room and you're going, How do I engage with this? We have an email address. We would love for you to send us an email at info at avlife.church. We put this in all of our weekly update videos. Info at avlife.church is actually the fastest way you can get a prayer request to our team so we can be praying for you. So if you're here and you want to remember that email address or you're at home, you can even send us an email right now. Or if you want to put a prayer request in the comments right now on YouTube, uh, Sharon is there watching right now and she will begin to pray for you as you post those comments online, doing church live on the internet is wildly awesome. (laughs) Here's the second uh, practical solution. Uh, for you to respond to this challenge. pray with friends and family, not just now in this moment, but but make this a source of accountability, right? Or, or ask people that you're in relationship with people that you trust and people that you love and that love you, ask them to pray with you over the specific things that you need. This is actually a great way to get accountability over the course of time that you won't stop praying for things before you get the answer or seek what you're finding for or before the door is open. so, ask friends. Maybe this means you make a list and then you make a a tribunal of prayer warriors for your life and you you call together the prayer council and you say, these are the five things I'm asking you to pray with me about. And we're going to pray together until we get an answer. And then the third practical way that you can respond to this challenge is uh, to pray with us right now. In fact, that's exactly how we're going to end this service. I'd love to pray a blessing over your life before Deb comes and wraps up our service. Uh, But can you just take a moment? I'm going to lead us in a corporate prayer. But I'd love to invite you, because you know your needs and your prayer requests and your desires way better than I ever could. Could you just go in the privacy of a moment right where you are, online or in this room, in your seat, and pray to God? Maybe there's a a place where you'd go to God and say, God, there's a thing I stopped praying for. God, there's there's an answer to a prayer I haven't received yet. I'm going to keep on asking you for that answer, for that breakthrough. I'm going to keep on seeking you. Just right where you're at, God, would you begin to hear us as we pray to you? Now, you don't need to be loud. You don't need to even speak out loud if you're incredibly uncomfortable with that. Although I would challenge you to focus this moment and to speak something in prayer. To the God who hears your prayers, what would you be asking Him for today? Is there a place where you need to repent of having believed something about Him that is not true? And as we pray, I want to invite you to trust in His guarantee. Trust in his goodness. You might even need to say that to him. God, I'm choosing today to trust in the guarantee of prayer. Or I'm choosing to trust that you are good and how you respond to my prayer will always be good. Jesus, thank you for this teaching on prayer. Thank you that this was the way you chose to wrap up this portion of the sermon that we call the Sermon on the Mount. We choose to believe that you meant every single word of it. Father, this means that we believe that you are always good and that your answer to all of our prayers is always good. Thank you for the ways that you have answered our prayers in the past, and God, thank you even now before we see them for the ways you will choose to answer our prayers in the future. We trust you. Help us to trust you in the waiting and help us to trust you in the receiving when what we receive doesn't look like what we thought we were asking for. And finally, my friends, I want to pray this simple blessing to you. This is, the, this is a, a translation of the blessing straight out of Numbers 24 through 26. I feel like this is a, a great blessing to pray over you today. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord's face radiate with joy because of you. May he be gracious to you show you his favor, and give you his peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.